0: Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of Kicking Up the Dust. I'm your host, Dr. Rhonda Jones, also known as the Digital Duchess. In this episode, I'm speaking with Olivia Peacock Dorsey, a creative tech professional. As a web designer, she successfully bridges her professional training in information systems with her passion for preserving African-American family history and genealogy. Olivia has developed community digital archives and is currently researching her family's history in Franklin, North Carolina. Olivia's ultimate goal is to use digital technology to minimize obstacles to learning and researching family history, while making it more accessible to people, especially for those outside of higher education.
1: So my full name is Olivia Dorsey Peacock. I'm currently residing here in Dallas, Texas. I'm working as a software system specialist, essentially providing web development, project management and a little bit of data analysis to researchers here um,
0: at a medical center here in Dallas. Okay, so how long have you been in Texas?
1: I've been in Texas for two years.
0: So where's home for you?
1: Home for me is the state of North Carolina, um, which sounds really weird, but uh, my parents are based in the central portion of the state uh, near Raleigh and I went to school in Chapel Hill, so UNC Chapel Hill, and I've lived in Asheville, North Carolina.
0: And what did you study in Chapel Hill?
1: I studied information science for my bachelor's degree and for my master's degree.
0: So you got a master's in what?
1: Information science.
0: Information science. So you've been at Chapel Hill for your educational training. What was that experience like?
1: It was interesting. Um, So I would say, of course, for undergrad, it was an experience of trying to explore and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I'm sure as like with many people who went through their their undergrad training, they switched their major several times. So I went from English to Spanish to computer science to finally information science. And then I kind of rediscovered African-American history and ended up doing a minor in that.
0: Oh, that's fantastic so how did you come to understand that you liked information science you went from a humanities background to IT basically
1: mm-hmm pretty much um, so the the plan for me initially when I went to undergrad was to go do computer science so I had gotten very interested in HTML and using Microsoft front page and just trying to create things um, but computer science ended up being a little bit too deep in the weeds for me. I thought that, okay, this feels like a very sterile kind of subject, like we're just programming and expected to know about these abstract concepts. I was drawn to information science because it had a very personable feel to it. Um, Information science is about understanding how information flows from person to person. So not only are you building systems, but you're building systems with those people in mind.
0: And how did you, do, like, for my listeners who don't really understand the level of, of training, like, were you good at math? Or like, how did you know that computer science was, you would, you would do well in something like that?
1: So I'm definitely not good in math. <laughs> and that that's probably part of the reason I was a little bit scared of computer science as well, because... With the prerequisites, you need to take lots of stats courses, you need to take advanced math courses, and I'm definitely much more of a uh, humanities-minded person, so that was another thing that kind of scared me away from computer science. For information science, um, you do still have to have some idea of math, some level of statistics, especially if you get more into research, but I would say for technology, I think it's very accessible in that... Um, a lot of the things that you learn in college are very useful, definitely. Um, but for me, with the bachelor's degree, it was very theoretical. This is the theory of information. This is how um, you should consider building things for people. But when it comes to the practical aspect of things, I think that resources such as learning how to code with HTML or PHP, those resources are pretty available if you go on online to like YouTube or other sources like that. Did you struggle at all? Oh yeah, I definitely struggled. I definitely struggled. Um, Particularly if we go back to my computer science course, that was kind of a, let's just throw you into the cold water and learn how to to code with Java. And that was very intimidating for me. Um, Even in information science as well, there were times where I was like, I really don't understand this. Um, and I'm very much the type of person that likes to do things, um, on my own. So I need to actually have my hands on the keyboard, uh, using the code to actually understand what's happening versus someone just lecturing to me, Hey, this is how you should theoretically do this thing.
0: So what kind of projects have you worked on that you were able to bridge your love of humanities and African-American history with information systems?
1: So I've had quite a few projects. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and start off with the ones that I worked on when I was in college still. Um, I consider the first one that kind of bridged that gap between humanities and technology to be a digital archive that I created for the Marion Cheek Jackson Center. And they are a nonprofit that works to renew and preserve the legacy of the historically black neighborhood of Northside in Chapel Hill. And so they needed a digital archive and I was like, huh, this sounds pretty interesting. So I decided to volunteer with them. And during that process, I learned how to create a digital archive with a tool called Omeka, which is a content management system. Um, As far as content management systems are concerned, uh, you can think of WordPress as being a content management system where the interface is... Uh, easy for people to, to see and understand how to build different pages and areas of their website without them having to get into the code so much. So with that project, I did a lot of the heavy lifting in the background, making it look nice, using, um, or rather programming the structure of the website, and then enabling it so that they could go ahead and add uh, items as the project grew further without having to get into the code. So that was so really wh- the first one
0: what kind of items did they have
1: so they had a lot of photos as well as um oral history interviews from members that were in the north side community
0: okay and how long did you work on this project
1: i think i worked on it for about a year or a year and a half um and then after that i think that they had moved on to another project at that point
0: okay do you know if the site is still active and available
1: it is um i think it's archives.jacksoncenter.info is the url for it
0: okay so the whole point of it is to make these resources accessible
1: Mm -hmm. yep accessible not only to um, other people who may not know about the history of the north side community but also to the north side community residents who are living there
0: Did you get any feedback about this project? Do you know who your users are?
1: So I did get some feedback um, initially when I had first created it. I believe I had done like a presentation, very small kind of informal presentation and members of the community had, um, had come and presented comments as far as, well, how can we find these documents, how can we find these documents? And basically providing suggestions as far as how to better organize some of the content. Um, Since I come from more of a technical humanities background, I don't have as much of the archival perspective. So that was very helpful for me.
0: Oh, good, good. So where did that project lead you? What did you do after that?
1: So after that, um, I was encouraged by, my now husband, then boyfriend, um, to apply for UNC's Summer Undergraduate Research Fellowship, uh, which is a fellowship that allows for UNC's undergraduate students to propose a project that they wanna work on. And then if they receive the fellowship, they receive a stipend to pursue the project and to work on it for a period of at least nine weeks over the summer. And so I actually applied for it twice, (laughs) the first time I didn't get it. Um, But then I got it the second time. And with that fellowship, I was allowed to travel to Franklin, North Carolina, which is based in Macon County. And I was able to meet with various families in the area and uh, scan their photographs of their families, as well as uh, conduct interviews with them as well. Did you
0: travel to the area?
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. I traveled to Franklin, North Carolina, and I ended up staying there for several weeks, Uh, with some distant cousins, actually.
0: And how far is that from your family?
1: So Franklin, I believe, is about, it's at least five hours away from uh, central North Carolina, where my family's based.
0: And what were your views of the community?
1: So the community was very interesting. Um, That was actually only the second time I had been there. So Franklin, North Carolina is actually where part of my mom's side of the family is from, as far as our distant ancestors are concerned. My great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother were born and raised there. And so my grandfather had actually taken me, my sister, and my cousin to Franklin a couple of years prior, just because I had gotten, after taking those African-American studies courses, I had gotten inspired again to start digging at my family history. So I kept asking all of these questions and my grandfather was just like, hey, let's let's just all go, go take a trip. Let's all go to Franklin, go meet some cousins and just check it out. So we went to do that. And it was, it's kind of funny because he hadn't actually met these cousins before, um, but my grandfather is so good about keeping up family connections. So we went there, we met them, they showed us around. And Franklin is a very small town. Um, especially in regards to the Black population. Um, a lot of the Black population has kind of died off, um, of course, as the older members have passed. Um, so it's a predominantly white uh, town, and it's based in the mountains of North Carolina. So it's it's nice and quiet and peaceful and full of all nature and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when we were meeting with our, with my cousins, uh, they had all of these documents and photographs that my great-great-grandmother owned. And so I was like super excited. I was like, oh my gosh, like I can finally put these names with these faces that I've been researching. Um, But at the same time, in the midst of all that excitement, I was concerned because these images were pretty well damaged. Like a lot of them, the, the faces of the individuals in the photographs were already so faded, you could barely make them out. Um, and that's what inspired me to to do my project.
0: So was the project uh, about preservation as well as conservation?
1: Mm-hmm. It definitely was. Um, and my main goal was to make sure that those photographs from my great-great-grandmother were at least scanned and somehow cataloged and placed available online for people to view.
0: So this was a family genealogy project that then became a community study. Mm Hmm. Exactly. Interesting. So uh, what organizations and institutions did you collaborate with?
1: So I collaborated with the local churches, one of them being St. Cyprian's uh, Episcopal Church, uh, which always makes me smile because it's just this little church that's actually across the street from my great-great-grandmother's house, which is still standing. And it's the institution where she got her education. So, Um, but I collaborated with them, worked with them as far as trying to make connections with the members of the community that were still there. Um, Making connections with the black community was difficult because as I mentioned, a lot of them had already passed away. So, and the younger members of that community had moved on to different locations, because Franklin's a small town, and there's not much to do there. As far as other entities that I collaborated with, I talked to the Macon County Historical Society, and I was able to get some information from them and look through some documents there as well. And I also collaborated with the Macon County Public Library. Um, One of the librarians there was immensely helpful um, and also shared her own family photographs as well.
0: So overall, do you think your education and training prepared you for this project?
1: I definitely think so. I think that my education and training allowed me to meet at that intersection of history and technology. And I think it's enabled me to to open my eyes and see what the possibilities are as far as making sure that people can access this information.
0: So after this project, what did you do?
1: So, after this project, I had a lot of life happen. (laughs) Um, So my life has been interesting because I've been interested in family history and genealogy for a really long time, probably since I was like 10 or 11. Um, At that time, my mom had given me this, this family tree document with all of these names and I just kind of was hooked from that point, I kept asking people questions, trying to figure out how to find additional people that weren't on the tree and all of that. And with life happening, you don't always get the time to actually do that research. And so one of the things I've been thankful for is being able to take those African American studies courses at UNC because it reignited my passion for genealogy and family history. So. Now, currently, what I'm working on are a few different projects, Um, Digital Black History, which is a free searchable online directory of a bunch of different digital black history projects. So basically, you go to the site and you can search for different terms such as like American Revolution or Georgia or voting politics, and it'll show you a list of digital black history projects that meet your search criteria. And so I created that project because I saw that there was a need for it. There's all of these different digital Black history projects that are coming out now, but there's really no central location to find that information. And I think it's really important to not only have a central place for these projects so people will use them, but also to make them more accessible to people even outside of academia who may want to learn more about Black history.
0: So what inspires you? Do you look at others sites and others projects and think I can do that better or this is a a void that I can fill?
1: I think it's mostly the latter Um, because what I I typically hang out or listen to things that are going on in the genealogy family history space, uh, particularly because I'm not I'm not really in academia anymore since I finished school. But as I work in this genealogy and family history space, a lot of the content I see is very much focused on European ancestry. Um, And that can be very frustrating at times. I do think that it's changing with other people working on projects as it relates to um, more people of color related genealogy projects. But I still feel like there's this void as it relates to black history. And having all of this experience with technology and the training that I gained from my information science degrees, I feel like I would be remiss not to utilize my skills and technology to help elevate our black history. Um, I think it's a shame that, of course, elementary school, middle school, high school, I learned some black history, but it was really in college where I got that depth and a further appreciation for my people's history. And I wanna make sure that people, even those who are outside of academia, also have that opportunity to understand their family history um, and to understand Black history. And I think that the best way for people to understand and appreciate Black history is by doing their own family history research and finding their ancestors and making it a personable experience.
0: So are you a member of the African American Genealogy Society or do you go to any of the conferences?
1: I'm not a member of of the societies right now, um, but I have gone to the RootsTech conference. Uh, I went there last year. It's basically a a conference that's supposed to be at the intersection of genealogy and technology. Um, They do have a bunch of different sessions on some technology tools that you can use with genealogy, but the majority of the workshops are primarily based in uh, genealogy methodologies, which is still great. Um, But even attending that conference, there were still limited sessions on Black history and Black genealogy. So that also further prompted me to to try to meet and fill that need.
0: So just for our listeners, uh, walk me through exactly how does one go about doing family history and genealogy?
1: Yeah, sure. So I probably don't have the best methods, but what I would say the best way to start is always to kind of take inventory of what you already know. Think about the stories that people have told you in the family over the years, at family cookouts, at family barbecues, all of those different things. Uh, Talk to your relatives. Talk to your parents about stories that happened in their childhood if you want to start. Because I know sometimes it can be intimidating to reach out to a relative that you don't really talk to. So maybe start with your parents or your grandparents, someone you're close to, and make sure when you're talking to them that you get uh, four things that I think are really important. The places, the names, the stories, and the photographs. Um, Those things, I think, create a great foundation as far as finding additional information about your ancestors. And then from there, with that information, you can go directly to the record. So go to get those census documents, get those death certificates, get those city directories, and even go to those cemeteries to verify what people are telling you. And then from there, I would suggest learning about the local histories, reading up on like the old local history newspapers, get started with going to familysearch.com, which is basically like the free version of ancestry.com go to the local library, and then go to state archives and request some documents from Health and Human Services for those vital records like death certificates and birth certificates.
0: That's very useful information. Thank you for sharing that. So what do you do when you hit a wall?
1: When I hit a wall, um, it kind of depends. So um, when I hit a wall, I typically kind of take a step back. It's very easy for me to get sucked into what I'm doing um, as far as like if I'm focused on one particular individual or one particular household. So I take a step back. There's this one methodology that I've been following that I think is really useful that I didn't create, um, but basically involves creating a timeline of the person that you're focused on. So say I'm focused on my three times great-grandfather. And I can't figure out how he became free um, because he was enslaved previously. What I might wanna do is create a spreadsheet using Excel and write out a timeline of all the events that have happened in his life. So based on the documents that I find, like let's say I found a few census records he was in. Well, that tells me the years in which he was in a certain location as well as the people he was with during that time period. So that's appropriate information for the timeline then I might, might find another document that tells me that he died, okay? I have another pinpointed uh, data point essentially for where he was at a certain point in time. So being able to lay out those facts in a structural fashion helps me kind of figure out where my gaps are, like where my time points are where I don't have any events and that may provide me with clues for where to proceed further.
0: That's very useful. That is very useful information. So you do this for your family and you do this for communities. What about the average person? Have you helped them at all?
1: I haven't um, helped the average person in terms of doing their own family history research. Uh, Primarily my family history research has been focused on my family for now, but I definitely want to get to that point. Um, But what I've been doing is since I do have this tech background, a lot of that is from web development. So what I'm doing is providing website design and development services for those who either want to blog about their family history or who may want to present their family history information on a website. So what I do is I consult with you, figure out what information you want to put on your website or your blog, and then I do the hard work of making it look nice and doing the programming, all that boring stuff. And then I show you how you update it yourself. Because all of these websites I'm creating are being created with WordPress because I wanna make sure that even though I'm creating the website for you and making it look the way that you want, that you have the power to add content as you want and that you have the power to edit things as you may need to.
0: So you are basically creating the site and then the user is allowed to change and update the content as they see fit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And even though I'm a novice, I'll be able to do that by myself. Do you offer any technical support after?
1: Yeah, can I definitely I do. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely do. You can definitely call me. Um, so before I launch your website, I'm gonna show you, I'm basically gonna lead you through a tutorial that provides you a broad overview of how you use WordPress and then If you have any questions at any point in time i'm also available for maintenance services as well
0: and do you do this for a fee
1: Mm -hmm. i do do it for a fee um so my most up-to-date fees are on my website which is oliviapeacock.com
0: okay so how do we find you do we google you or word of mouth (laughs) <laughs> um,
1: so you can Google me. Um, like I said, definitely go to my website, oliviapeacock.com. I'm also available on Twitter as at Olivia Codes. So if you ever have any questions or you want to talk to me about creating a website, you can always reach out to me through either one of those methods.
0: So what inspires you to do this work?
1: For me, I would say I would have to take it back to... When I first got started with my family history, um, that was just something that, when I was younger and I was introduced to it, I got so excited about. I just it's it's very hard for me to explain because it feels very natural to me now. Like when other people are like, eh, "I don't care about my family history," I'm like, "Why not?" Like these are the people that got you to this point. They're the reason that you're here right now. So I feel like. As someone who is essentially a survivor of all of the things that my ancestors have gone through, it's my duty to make their stories heard and make their stories visible. Um, I've done several interviews with family members, and I've heard a whole bunch of different stories about ways in which my ancestors have struggled. And I I can clearly visualize and see these things happening and to think that after you die and pass away, like those struggles don't matter, I think is does a disservice to that person who lived that life. And so it's important for me to make sure that my family's history is told. But then when I think about other people, especially black people who don't know about their family history, I want them to also have that feeling as well. I want them to feel excited to find a new name of a person, to find a new document that leads them to a new clue, to finally find a photograph of that ancestor and figure out, oh, well, that's where where my nose shape comes from, little things like that. And then I also think about black history as a subject. Like I said, when you're in public school, you get a little bit of it here and there, Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman, all of that, but that only scratches the surface of what is out there for black history. And so when you, there's this um, report that Pew Research uh, did in 2009, asking people about their race and their identity. And in that survey, I think it was about 75% of black people said that they saw their race or their ethnicity as central to their identity. And I think that, family history is very important for helping to uh, establish and to um, basically reinforce that identity.
0: I do want to ask you about when you mention families that don't want to know their history, what about the secrets and fear and misinformation that prevents people from wanting to know? How do you get past that hurdle?
1: I think it takes time. I will say that I've encountered that a little bit with, with some of my relatives. And I. the first step you really have to take is developing that relationship with that person. Um, there are always gonna be secrets and things that people don't wanna talk about. And I think it's important to respect those wishes. So if I interview someone and I wanna ask them about a specific event that's been harmful for them. I I wanna gauge how that person feels and what they are like as a person first before I get to that point. And if we get to that point and I ask them that question and they dismiss it or they don't wanna talk about it, then I completely respect that. Genealogy and family history is of course about getting the facts. But it's also about the relationships. And I think it's important that people remember that because it's family history. You want to make sure that you're keeping up the relationships with the people that you have now while respecting their wishes and the wishes of those who've passed on.
0: So now that you've done your own family's history, where do they fit into the narrative of United States history?
1: So I'm definitely not completely done with my family history. Um, but as far as the narrative of United States history, um, we could take it in a couple of different directions. Of ancestors who migrated from down south to the north as a part of the Great Migration. And even while doing that, they still encountered struggles along the way. Um, in particular, thinking about my great grandfather, um, Clifford Lawrence, who was born in Wahala, South Carolina, Um, just worked on his dad's farm, essentially, pretty much his whole life, met his wife. And then um, they had a kid, she passed away, he married another wife, and they moved up to New York, and they had a bunch of of struggles he actually ended up getting into a dynamite accident and ended up losing his leg and losing loss of his arm and so just thinking about that whole process him having to survive segregation in the south getting up not only the courage but also the financial will to move up north how did he do York
0: with a physical disability
1: well he had already moved to um new york before the disability happened okay yeah and so after the disability happened he couldn't he couldn't really work his family had a farm up north he couldn't really work um he was unemployed so they decided to open a laundromat business but at the same time like you have to think about how he felt in that moment he had one two three four he had four kids at the time that he had to take care of and provide for and not being able to really do that to the full extent that he wanted to even being young um it's painful to think about so just thinking about things like that um and the injustices that my ancestors faced throughout the history of this country can be a lot to take in
0: wow I was just thinking about the the themes of, you know, migration, entrepreneurship, disability, uh, you know, there was no safety net for African-Americans, you know, being uh, the question of of the challenges of manhood, of black manhood, of raising a family, you know, income inequality, segregation. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, there were so many, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about, wow you know this is a story upon millions of other stories of perseverance
1: exactly and to add on to that he um there was a time in his life in the 40s this was after he had his accident he actually um managed to reach a court settlement with his employer so he was able to get some funding from his accident so he was probably ecstatic that he was able to get that money
0: that he got that a car that he had... was served for an African-American
1: Ex- exactly so he was able to get a car that he probably had wanted for some time and decided to take the family down to Franklin North Carolina which is where his wife was from and visit with her family which she hadn't seen in I forget how long but she hadn't seen in forever um and during that trip uh one of their um sons actually was taken and went missing and to this day um it's still a very sensitive subject in my family because they don't know what happened to my my uncle essentially he Uh, he was two or two and a half
0: oh my goodness
1: yeah so it was it was a huge thing for that little town of, of franklin north carolina um, and I won't go into details about the theories about what happened. And but, I don't um, want
0: I won't ask because it sounds like <laughs> it's very painful.
1: Yeah. So, but yeah, it was, it was a huge thing, but when you put that on top of everything else he had to go through, and as you say, you think about the other stories of other black families who had to go through those things, um, as I take it back to family history, I, I think that I would be remiss to not acknowledge those struggles.
0: So what are you going to do with all this information? Are you going to publish a book?
1: So I'm hoping to do a whole bunch of things. Um, Publish a book for sure. Uh, One thing I've been doing with my family lately, kind of in an effort to recruit people in my family to help me research this history, is send out quarterly family history newsletters. So I use MailChimp and I basically just write out like, quick sketches of things that I've learned um, in my research for that quarter. And then I usually incorporate family members' photographs as well, and so they've been really receptive to that. Based on the reception to that, what I'm doing now is redesigning Franklin Memories, which was that online archive I created from that fellowship at UNC. I'm Redesigning it to include more narrative information about each of the individuals and also to illustrate their relationships as well. And so the goal for that is to not only make it publicly available, but to also enable my family members to contribute and to add their own content, to add their own stories about these individuals to that website.
0: I'm very happy you brought that up because my next question was how receptive are your relatives to the work that you're doing and whether they're, they're giving you any kind of assistance.
1: They've been very receptive. Um, Were they? Been I would say definitely for
0: you to come along. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, according to my grandfather, yeah. <laughs> but um, it, it's varying degrees. So so people are very receptive. It's just more people are interested than others. Um, as you can imagine, some more of the older folks are a little bit more interested. Although I will say that since I've really been picking up with my genealogy research again which has been in like the past couple years or so um it's been interesting to see that my parents generation who typically is not as interested um some members of their generation have been at family events like recording the elders telling stories or like sending me pieces of information like auntie so-and-so said blah 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 we should add this to the tree um so that's made me really excited because it shows that they're engaged in the process and they're thinking about the history even when i'm not just sending it to them on a quarterly basis
0: so who was the family historian before you
1: so the family historian before me probably was my grandfather's sister um so she she has a lot of documents but they're all kind of um They're not the most organized i love her to death but um they're not the most organized and she moves around a lot so she's lost uh, quite a few of her stuff so that's on my mom's side of the family um on her dad's side now as far as the other sides of my family including my dad's side and my mom's mother's side i don't know of anyone else who's trying to do the family history so it's kind of just me
0: doing your mom's side
1: yeah, right now, I'm primarily doing my mom's side because that's where I have the most information for now. Okay.
0: And Do you have artifacts as well as documents?
1: So I don't have artifacts. Um, there are a few artifacts that I know of. I just don't own them. So for example, my cousins in Franklin, North Carolina, like I said, they have the majority of my great-great-grandmother's um, things, including her photographs. I know that they also have some of my great-great-grandfather's things. Uh, My great-great-grandfather was a Prince Hall Mason. So they have some of his, um, I think they have like one of his aprons or something. And I think they also have my great-great-grandmother's family Bible. So before COVID, I was planning to go there and go through all of those things and scan even more stuff. But that's how the times happen, I guess.
0: So now you're living in Texas. How much longer do you think you'll be there?
1: So I'll probably be here for a couple more years. Um, My husband is in a, a psychiatry residency program. So he's got two more years until he finishes. But then after that, I'm assuming we'll probably move to North Carolina.
0: You'll move back to North Carolina. Well, How much of this work can you do online?
1: So... You can do a decent amount of it online. I will say that being able to be in the archive or be in the library is preferable. Um, But at this point with the state of genealogy, I think that a lot of things have been digitized to the point that it is manageable as far as getting started or getting to some documents. So Ancestry.com is great for this, as most people know. FamilySearch.com, which I mentioned is the free version of Ancestry.com, is also really great for this. And FamilySearch.com actually has, which I learned this like a couple weeks ago, um, but they also have free digitized versions of some books as well. Another thing or another source that some people may not check out as often is eBay. Um, eBay oftentimes has some artifacts from just various small towns like occasionally i'll go to ebay and just search towns that my ancestors are from just to see if there are any artifacts that people are selling i know that myself um, a few weeks ago i actually managed to get a copy of the macon county um, historical society's uh, heritage uh, book um, which is actually a very rare book that they published in the 1980s and it's out of print at this point but it has a whole bunch of different um, Family histories and local county histories and transcriptions of documents in that book as well. And you found that. So out on that's eBay. another source. Mm hmm. On eBay. For how much? Uh, <laughs> too much. <laughs> too much. Um, it was about 120.
0: Okay. Well, that was my next question. Has any of this research in terms of expenditures, would it be cost prohibitive for people? Like, how much does it cost to order? Uh, to. Uh, marriage license or a death certificate or is that now free and available online
1: so it depends on the time period now there have been plenty of death certificates that i've been able to find online for free most of the time through FamilySearch or ancestry.com so of course when that happens i just i download every single version of that document the pdf the jpeg the png all the different versions and i back them up on multiple pieces of hardware um but as far as like more recent documents i can give you an example um my grandmother's father i forget what year he passed away in i want to say it was the 50s um i can't get his death certificate and the reason for that is because it's in new york and new york's New York system. Um, so typically, when you would get a death certificate or a birth certificate, you would go to the Health and Human Services or Vital Services Department of whatever state uh, that event occurred in. And so, for him, he passed away in New York, and so that's where I would have to get his death certificate from. But what you do is you fill out the application. It does cost money, so it's about twenty dollars usually. I think $20, 25 dollars. Uh, and that's for the searching fee. And so what that means is they do the search and if they can't find it, they're not going to refund you your money. You're just out of luck. If they do find it, they'll send you a copy. Um, and then you'll have the document. So for him, he has a couple of different holes in his history because he ran away from home. So I don't know things such as his parents, uh, names, his siblings' names. I know when he was born and when he died and his name, but they still were unable to find his record. But I also think it's, it may be due to the volume of record requests that they receive.
0: So in addition to vital statistic records, can you get information for say military records or employment records?
1: Oh, definitely. Um, Military records and death certificates are probably my two favorite record types, which sounds kind of weird. So particularly for, uh, draft registration records. They're pretty useful because So there's two draft registration records that I know of at least um, World War one and World War two And so they get filled out for for the draft for those wars um, And what gets filled out on them is typically the person's name uh, Who their employer is and they always have this line for the person who will always know your address and so that gives you a clue because that will usually be a spouse or the person's mother or another relative. And so they may also include the address of that person as well. You also get your ancestor's signature, which I always think is cool. And then on the back of those draft registration cards, you get physical descriptions. So they'll tell you exactly how tall your ancestor was, uh, what their skin shade was, um, what the color of their eyes, their hair was. And if they have like any kind of disabilities or things like that, um, they'll write the details
0: of that. Do they make any differentiations between color complexion? They say brown or light or...
1: They do have different shades for colored complexion. Um, I can't think of exactly what they were, but they do have like dark or like medium brown or what have you or light.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So what has been the most surprising aspect of, of your research so far? Hmm.
1: Honestly, I mean, I think I would say my family's reception um, and like I, how I was talking about my aunts just recording the elders and things like that, like how people have reacted in my family to the history I think has been really interesting. Um, other pieces that I found interesting are I guess... Um, I'm trying to think there's a couple of different things I'm thinking about, but so I would say to kind of explain this, um, my great, great grandmother lived to be 107. And so, (laughs) so she, she lived in Franklin, North Carolina. So I always go back to her every single time I have a question or I'm confused about something, I always go back to her because since she lived to be so old, there's so many people that try to interview her and ask her why she got to be so old. <laughs> so um, it's always funny to me that because I've read over her interviews so many times already. I, would, I should probably have them memorized, but anytime I'm researching that side of the family and I'm confused about something, I go back to her interviews and the answer is right there. And so it just makes me happy to think, well, maybe, maybe my ancestors are still trying to help me out with this thing. So I don't know if that answers your question, but
0: that answers my question. But my next question is how are you organizing these materials?
1: So I was very disorganized to start, um, but I have a couple of different methods. So I'm using Trello to keep track of my task and to keep me focused on whatever aspect of my research I'm focused on.
0: And, and, and what is Trello? So
1: Trello is essentially a very simple project management system that uses the Kanban project management style. And so basically in layman's terms, um, just imagine having like three columns, one column being for items to do, another column being for items in progress, and then a third column being for items to be completed. And so you can create these cards to go into each of the columns. And so if I have certain tasks that I know I need to do at some point, I'll put them in the to-do column. And then when I'm working on them, I'll move them to in progress. And then when I'm completed with them, I move them to completed to kind of keep track of the flow of my task, essentially. So. Um, so I use that for task management to keep myself focused on whatever aspect of research I'm focused on. I use OneNote for quick notes and for my initial drafts of my family's uh, biographies for each individual. And I like OneNote because it, you can kind of think of it like Microsoft Word-ish. Um, it's basically like a virtual notebook where you can keep information organized into different tabs. And so what I do is I have my families and um, each family has their own tab. And then within each tab, each family member has their own page. And what I like about that is that OneNote is also connected to the cloud. So I can have the OneNote app on my phone. So whenever I'm in the library or in the archive, I can go to OneNote, look up some information, and then identify what resource I need to get based on that. So I have that. And then I'm using Word to develop my ancestors' biographies. And then eventually they'll go into WordPress. And then as far as the documents are concerned that I download online or scan, I keep them stored on my Windows computer. So I have a folder for each family. And then within each family, I have folders for each different type of document, whether it's a newspaper article, census record, city directory, death certificate, et cetera. And then I also have it backed up on an external hard drive.
0: And these are all free programs?
1: So yes, Trello does have a free version. Um, You can pay for Trello too if you want more features, but I don't do that, I just use the free version. Um, OneNote, I believe is still free. Um, If you have a Windows computer, you can go to the Windows Store or the Microsoft Store um, and download OneNote as the app. And it's free um word is not free but there are there are some free uh s- pieces of software that are like word out there like open office which you could use and then um external hard drives are not free you would have to pay for an external hard drive
0: and what about google can i use any google programs
1: yeah you could to- that are compatible? yeah you could totally use google if you wanted to so if you wanted to use like google docs or google spreadsheets you could do that um, I just tend to keep things locally for the most part um, just because <laughs> just because Google to me sometimes can be kind of sketchy. But Google you could also use too.
0: Now, what if I have a Mac?
1: If you have a Mac, um, you should have all of those programs available to you. I believe Trello is also available on Mac because Trello you can use online um, in your web browser or you can download it um, to your computer. And I think you can download it for Mac. Um, I believe Office is still available for Mac. So if you wanted to have uh, Microsoft Word, you could still do that. OneNote, I think is available for Mac, but don't quote me on that. And then of course, Google Docs you could use on Mac because it's online.
0: Are you able to add users to these programs? Like say you want to collaborate with other relatives, can you add them and then they can contribute content?
1: So for my processes, No, for the most part, Um, like for OneNote and for um, Microsoft Word, no, I can't right now. Um, But if you had Microsoft OneDrive, Microsoft OneDrive essentially acts just like Google Drive. Um, It's a cloud-based storage solution. And so if you store your documents on OneDrive, your relatives could access them that way. Um, The only tool that I have that people could be added to is Trello. And so you can invite people to Trello and you can actually assign them to complete different tasks.
0: Perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I don't use Trello in my own work because I just think I'm not that high-tech. I, I, <laughs> I don't have that much content.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm not the most consistent with it either. So <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention as far as tools um, that I recently started using there's a bunch of different family tree tools that you can use like Family Tree Maker, um, some other ones. But the one that I use is called Roots Magic and the reason I use it is because it's free. They also have a paid version as well, but it allows you to essentially create your family tree and um, you can basically store all of your family information into that tree. And if you ever need to move it to a different program like Ancestry.com or something like that you can export that family tree file into a file called GEDCOM files. Now on the flip side of that, if you are working on a family tree on Ancestry.com and you want to put it into a program like RootsMagic, you can actually export your family tree from Ancestry.com, again, into a GEDCOM file and put it into RootsMagic. So.
0: This is why you need to write a book. (laughs) I want to (laughs) show others how to do this work.
1: I want to. um, But speaking of showing others how to do this work, actually, this summer, I started a a video web series actually on YouTube that provides a breakdown of different tech tools that you wouldn't think to use in a family history context. So I have an episode on Trello, um, on WordPress.com, like getting started with WordPress, Uh, using Mailchimp to create family history newsletters, just different tools that people in the genealogy realm don't really think use for their work.
0: So you will be presenting at least maybe virtually at the next African-American genealogy conference because you need to speak to a 21st century researcher.
1: Hopefully. um, (laughs) I I have presented, presented at one conference earlier this year, but I'm working on getting some more presentations.
0: So how do we find these YouTube videos? Are they on your website or just by name?
1: Yep. So you can look for me on YouTube as Olivia Peacock. Um, But you can also go to my website, oliviapeacock.com. And if you scroll down to the very bottom of the page, there's a link to my YouTube channel.
0: Okay. And is YouTube free? Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. YouTube is free. Um, You don't even have to log into YouTube or anything like that. But if you do want to keep up with my episodes, um, you can definitely subscribe to my channel and you'll get a notification anytime I release episodes. I will say, I think the last episode I had planned is going to be released this Sunday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, So if you have any ideas of different tools that you would like me to present on, definitely let me know. Send me an email or make a comment on a video and I can do that.
0: Are you planning to monetize this information as well? I
1: haven't thought too much about it right now. Um, At the moment, I'm kind of just keeping it free, but we'll think about it and see what happens.
0: (laughs) So what is your day job? (laughs) so on my
1: day job i work at a um, medical center here in dallas texas uh, basically providing a web development support to a project um and then i'm also doing a little bit of project management and a little bit of data analysis so basically i'm involved in doing uh, medical providing technical and analytic support for medical research projects so they're, they're not exactly the same thing, but I'm working on that transition.
0: <laughs> what does your husband think about your your research and, and your family history? Is he inspired at all?
1: So he knows how excited I get about it. Um, <laughs> I've offered to do his family history research a couple of different times. I just don't have the time to do it. Um, for him, family history is not his thing he definitely enjoys history but he's kind of afraid of getting sucked into into that world which i'm sure he sees me as already being sucked into um but he understands how much i enjoy it and he's impressed with the work that i've done so far and whenever i'm working on it whether it's me doing the technological aspect of genealogy by making websites or doing my videos or doing my family history research just getting with the documents he kind of just leaves me alone and he's like yeah she's in her own world (laughs) for now i'll just i'll let her do her kind of thing so
0: so if someone was to ask you to describe yourself in three words what would you say oh in three words um hmm i need to think about that I will give you three words. You are you are a heritage informatics specialist. Oh, <laughs> thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes like brand myself as like a creative technologist, but it doesn't include the heritage part. So maybe a creative heritage technologist. But at this there you go. Yeah, but at the same time I it's hard cuz I don't know that people know there's so many different aspects of technology (laughs) like technology is like everything computers but i like that though i like that
0: well that's the purpose of my podcast i want ordinary people to see how my 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 interviewees have come to this path What led them there? That you could be a reader, you could be a humanist, but yet you can have an interest in technology and digital tools and and how your education is not always what you thought it would be, that you started on one path and you went down another path and it led to something else.
1: Exactly. And I think think life is all about that. All about that. And I especially want to say that Um, like my whole career so far has been in technology Um, and in most instances I've been the only black woman sometimes the only woman on the team and so I know that it can be difficult to think like oh this is something that that I can do especially as a black person um, because there aren't a lot of us in tech I do think that that's changing but but still you do notice the lack of diversity in these tech companies.
0: Okay, so in closing, um, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um,
1: I would just like to say, I tell this to people like all the time, talk to your elders, talk to your old people, especially now during COVID times, um, we can't go visit our family members like we would like to go give your your older relatives a call, see how they're doing, talk to them, talk to them about their lives because I've had a couple of moments myself where I had relatives that I was, I was fairly close to, but I'd never asked them the questions that I'm asking my relatives now about our family history. Um, in particular, I'm thinking about my paternal grandmother, um, who passed away before I could even ask her about her parents or her grandparents or any of that information. So talk to your old people, um, see how they're doing first off, and try to build those relationships. And I would also say, learn as much as you can about Black history and, and about your own family history.
0: I hope you all enjoyed listening to Olivia Dorsey Peacock talk about her passion for discovery and access regarding African-American history and especially African-American family history. Interestingly enough, after listening to the interview, my previous guest Fatou Diop had this to say about Olivia. Oh, no, don't mention. This is my pleasure, really. Uh, all the, the work you've been doing are so inspiring and this broadcast with this special guest was amazing because it was so inspiring okay and uh, the part she said that we have to talk to our elders is really important because even here in, in africa we don't have the chance to to exchange with our grandparents because i remember when i was younger anytime i asked my grandma who was your mom she'll be like She will never take me serious but i wanted to know but they take you too curious and they don't want to talk about those things i don't know why but this is how it goes so it's it's inspiring really and she's doing a a really amazing job yeah